Thanks for tuning in, everybody, to the eighth episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. This is the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano, and this is the final episode of what I would like to call the first season. We've had some amazing guests and look forward to coming back with another star-studded lineup of athletes and industry who's who on the second season this fall. Today's episode is very special to me. As many of my listeners know, over the past few years, I've had the honor to announce and travel with a genuine personality, athlete, all-around good-hearted dude named Brad Smela. Earlier this summer, Brad severely injured his spine and C4 vertebrae. Brad was pushing the limits in his never-ending quest to bring wakeboarding and his career to great levels. Prior to his accident, Brad made time to drive to Orlando, sit down and chat with me about his career, life, and the sport he loves, wakeboarding. This episode was taped on June 16, 2014, and it was set to release on July 8th, just two days after Brad's crash. I decided to wait and let Brad's family hear the episode before releasing it. Brad is on his road to recovery, but will need everybody's support. There are many ways to help and donate. I recommend checking out www.bradsmalafoundation.com for updates on Brad and ways to make donations. And now, the Golden Mike Podcast. Hey guys, I'm Brad Smaler. You're listening to the Golden Mike Podcast with the one and only Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. Well, today we've got another great guest. He is a rider that proves dedication and hard work will eventually pay off. Among traveling, appearances, being an athlete, and my co-announcer on the King of Wake series, he's also been a very vital uh, to the development and progression over at Lake Ronix here in Orlando for over the last 365 days. Uh, my guest is one of the first members of the 1080 Club and a man whose accent is almost as thick and gold as his tan. Here inside the studio loft, welcome the human earthquake machine himself, Brad Smela. Good day, Brad. <laughs> What's up, Dano? Good to be here. Yeah, thanks. Wait, wait, wait. It's actually, it's not good day, right? Because you're from New Zealand, not Australia. Well, yeah, I mean... Sort of, uh, I guess we'd say, what's up, bro? Yeah, I was going to say, what is your traditional what, greeting? What's up, bro? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, yeah, we always just get confused with the Aussies and g'day, mate. We'll, we'll pass with that one. That's fine. <laughs> well, That's right. uh, Brad, I'm glad you were able to make it here tonight. I know both of us have uh, had super, super busy schedules and uh, it, it worked out perfect as both of us are are flying out super early tomorrow morning. Um, I've got a handful of questions lined up for you, and we're going to get to that here in just a few. But first, I want to thank everybody for all the input I've been getting through www.noiseofthenorth.com, as well as all the awesome people who have come up to me at events over the last few weeks since we've had the Golden Mike podcast on the noiseofthenorth.com and uh, iTunes, of course, and how much they appreciate what we're trying to do here on the Golden Mike. Now hang tight, everybody. We'll be back in just a minute with Brad Smela here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Hey, guys. So I want to remind everybody that we can all help with the recovery for Brad Smela. Get online. Go to the website, www.bradsmelafoundation.com. There's auctions that you can check out. The list of athletes who have stepped up to the plate to help out with Brad and and show their support, Ryan Sheckler, Louis Vito, Ricky Fowler, Travis Pastrana, just to name a few, but it's going to take everybody and everybody's help. 
This episode is amazing, and I think you guys are going to love it. Brad's advice to the next generation. He, he talks about the reality of wakeboarding and the struggles and uh, his beginnings and, and, and where he's come to and where he'd planned on taking what he was doing. Enjoy it, my friends. Here it is, the Brad Smela interview. Brad Smela, long-time friend. Thanks, thanks again for coming out tonight. I was, uh, I was on it, though, huh? I asked you like two weeks ago. Yeah, you definitely gave me the, uh, gave me the warning. We managed to schedule in uh, this, uh, this evening's little podcast studio session. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, we're both, uh, both out of here tomorrow, so it no, worked out perfectly. What do you think of the new nickname? I was, I was, uh, it caught me off guard because I, I mean, I, I have been, as, as you know, complaining about this first nickname you gave me of the Kiwi kid. It just, to me, it kind of lacked thought and lacked depth. There was nothing really, there was no reason for it. It was just the fact that I'm from New Zealand. So I've always been pestering you for a new nickname and the, the human earthquake machine. I, I'm interested to, uh, to see where you came up with that one, <laughs> Dan. Where's the story? Yeah. Well, uh, that's maybe a story for another time, um, but nonetheless, I think it fits. You're a big guy, you know. You, you when you move, you you know you you, you shake the ground you walk on. Well, and I guess you know, I figured maybe you'd be referring to uh, I, I know recently in New Zealand, there's been a lot of earthquakes. So maybe you know the fact that I'm from New Zealand, things have been shaken up a little bit back there. Yeah, and I like to shake things up a little bit as well, you know. So maybe yeah. All right, well, we can run with that. For I, I know, I know, you like to shake things up. I um, follow you through social media, and it's pretty cool. You, so you and I, we we announce obviously together, and it's funny because when I first started announcing, I I was a little edgier, I would say, with what I did, and now I've kind of tamed down what I do on stage and at events and stuff like that. And you do too, but you definitely are not uh, afraid to get on social media and say whatever it is that you're thinking yeah i mean i don't know i like to i like to keep people interested in, in what's going on and and i don't know if you you're talking about uh recently a few of my of, of my uh, instagram posts and stuff like that i've been having a good time with uh, a couple of weeks ago i did the uh collegiate wakeboard nationals um hosted that and up there in shreveport louisiana and that was a wild time. There's some uh, funny photos I posted up from that. And then also a week later on the road with, uh, with the Beefcake, Grant from, uh, from Ronix, we were doing some five gallons um, stops out there in, uh, in sort of the Missouri area. And yeah, it got, got pretty wild as well. It was definitely a good time. So, um, hey, that's what, that's what it's about, you know? You got me. I've definitely been following your social media, man. I like to live vicariously through you a little bit, but at the same time, I, I feel like I'm out there just like you. But. Yeah, we both, we both got some pretty awesome lives going on, Dano, I must admit. Yeah. Well, hey, we've already knocked out a few stops on the King of Wake this year, but outside of the events, I know you're a really, really busy guy. But uh, how stoked are you right now? I know we talked about this when you got back to America. You received a legit uh, work visa. Yeah. So for the last, this is my 11th year coming coming to Orlando. And for the last 10 years, it's been on a tourist visa, six months in maximum. And then I can, then I have to leave the country and um, I'm not allowed to work and, and things like that. But so I went home and, um, you know, I have uh, Ronix supporting me on my visa and, and put the application in for the new visa and got myself a performance visa. And it's, uh, you know, it means I can be here for five years. I can 
start to earn money as a professional wakeboarder, as an announcer and things like that as well. So it means I can kind of set myself up here and kind of just, I guess, commit more to the, uh, to the lifestyle itself and to the career. Yeah. Well, you know, be able to take your, your career to that next step. You've always been a great rider, but now you can get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that was always something I found was an issue was, you know, even though like I, I could, it, it made things easier for picking up new sponsors. If I wanted a certain sponsor, I could generally get it because I was sort of a big fish in a small pond in New Zealand. You know, I could pick up a sponsor there and try and transfer it over to the US. But then for them, I could see how they could justify spending money on another athlete because they're getting them year round in their country. Whereas for me, it was I was only there six months at the time and I could see how that would be challenging to um, to justify sort of the value in that. So, you know, I had to make the move, leave some friends and family behind and, and kind of uh, commit to the move over here. But it definitely, it didn't make it hard knowing that I was moving to Lake Ronex. That was, uh, that definitely made things easy. Aside from, from just riding, um, you're, you're a very important component to what's happening over there with Lake Ronex. Uh, can, can you talk about that at all? Yeah. I mean, um, so what happened, I mean, it was about just over a year ago now, um, that the, the, the land was purchased and I, I caught wind of it while I was in New Zealand, still hadn't come over here yet. Got told that we looked at, you know, the guys were looking at buying this land. And I basically was joking with Mike Ferraro, like, oh yeah, I'm going to go buy myself a van and park it on the side of the lake. That's where I'm going to live for the next year or so, you know, sort of laughed it off. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I don't see a problem with that. I, and then I got here and it was all go. We were leading into our catalog shoot and we got out to the lake and there was like, I think four or five posts into the ground for our first rail. That was it on the water in terms of out there on the lake. And then they'd shaped the first beach and we we're kind of standing around and we had this, uh, this shipping container there and it, we needed something to organize it. So I started kind of building some stuff, like built a workbench and things like that. And then we needed somewhere to sit. So I, I kind of started building some picnic tables and it kind of, at that point, it sort of, um, you know, basically dawned on me and then also on, um, I mean, I guess my goal the whole time was to be living out there, but. You kind of carved a job out for yourself. Yeah, I, I guess I sort of uh, got some attention at that point when I was, you know, showed that I could do more than just wakeboard and I could uh, could build some stuff. And now you're now you're kind of like the director of operations out there. <laughs> I guess in a way, I mean, it's, I, I guess it helps I'm, now that I'm living out there, I guess Paul O'Brien came to me and basically asked um you know like we were joking around we'd put the first tiki hut on a uh, tiki hut up on the beach and i was like put four walls and the and a floor on it and i'll move to, into the thing and sort of laughed it off and then the next day he actually came to me and said dude would you actually consider living out here it's like 100 percent. give me a give me a, a tent and a campfire and i'm good to go but so and, we, and that's what they did, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, a little more than that. I've got a, uh, I've got a, a construction trailer I'm living in. Um, still no power and running water yet, but I mean, I've got Lake Ronix out my back doorstep. I shower in the lake in the uh, in the morning and evening. Actually, about an hour ago, I was I was having a little shower in the lake before coming out here to uh, to your podcast, Anna. Yeah, you're you're kind of living nomadic, yeah. so to say, right now. Exactly. So I know we were in. Georgia a few weeks ago at the first stop of the pro wakeboard tour and you got into the hotel room you and I shared a room and I remember you you came in the hotel room and you said 
how excited you were that this was going to be the first hot shower you've taken since you were in America. And at that point, I think you were already here for like eight weeks or something. Yeah, it was definitely a, a, a good feeling. I mean, I, that I may have been exaggerating because uh, Chad Sharp did, you know, I did crash at his place one weekend. And so it, it, it was, I think, about a month of being here at least that I didn't have an actual hot shower. Like I was obviously bathing in the lake and using soap and everything. But yeah, the, the concept of falling hot water from the sky <laughs> to cleanse myself was uh, starting to, you know, starting to be a bit further away. And it kind of, uh, it was really nice to, to get into that and, and kind of have a nice shower and sort of kick back for a minute. Brad, basically since you got here, you've been working out at the lake, uh, doing photo shoots, you've been traveling, uh, announcing events. Um, are you trying to take the, the title of hardest working man in the industry away from Mike Ferraro or what? <laughs> I've, I've actually been thinking about that because I love how he claims that. And I don't know, I've, I've seen him come real close to breaking a sweat at Lake Ronix. And <laughs> um, no, I know Mike, Mike definitely works hard, but yeah, I've, I've definitely put some hard yards in lately and. I guess it's just recently I've kind of seen the value in it and, and, and I, I, it's more that I know what I'm working for now, you know, whereas before I was working and, and every time I'd, I seemed to be getting cut down at, you know, whether it was with sponsors or, you know, um, injuries and things like that. And it was always sort of just, I was, I felt like I was trying to make a comeback all the time. Whereas now I've got basically one thing to focus on, uh, you know, and, and it's Lake Ronix and, and, for me to be out there living like the day-to-day -day stuff is fine it's easy for me to to go out there and do a little bit of work here and there and and help plan the next build and you don't have to wakeboard another day in your life and you could have a job you know yeah well, exactly but at the same time it is the most ultimate platform for as much fun and the best wakeboarding i can have for the rest of my life i mean you know i've i've grown up never um, never really having a boat we had a bayliner for about three months you little little IO and a little outboard and you know that thing got stolen after like three or four months so I'd never even had a boat it was always just a struggle going and riding with friends and and you know I worked at wakeboard camps and stuff like that and then to think that I had you know there was all I had to do was work and put some effort in and I'd be able to live at Lake Ronix and have an option of what boat I want to ride behind right there in the backyard two system 2.0s and everything else as well that goes along with it so it was a no-brainer for me and and I said it to Paul and I'll say it again, you know, that it just, that sort of work doesn't feel like work. You know, when, right. you, when you know what, that what you're achieving by doing that, it, it, it comes back to, I, I guess it's just the dream. It's what I've always wanted. And so when you have to just put in a little effort for that and, and you can see it right there and you know, it's on the horizon and all you got to do is put some blood, sweat and tears in and then you're there and that's that's sort of uh get to enjoy the the fruits of the labor exactly so exactly. to say I had my eyes on the prize and and worked my ass off and yeah stoked on how things are at the moment you guys have worked so hard you've got it all out there you got the two towers you've got the boats from the looks of things it seems as if you've been riding a lot yourself and really really taking advantage of that with a little bit of everything at uh lake ronix my question is what are you starting to prefer um cable or boat I mean, you know, obviously I came from boat and I've always, always been a big part of it. Um, and I always see myself being a part of it for the rest of my career, but I seem to have caught on to this, this whole, uh, wake park, um, craze and, you know, I'm getting, getting pumped on it. And it's, it's sort of, 
whether it's it's easier to just grab the system, you know, the controller for the system, have a buddy drive, whatever, and get out there for a couple of laps, then then sort of take the boat out. I mean, I guess it's all right there at my doorstep now, so it's it's hard to say it's, it's hard to go out on the boat. But I, I don't know. I definitely enjoy riding both. Definitely enjoy riding behind the boat. But I've definitely like 100% been putting a lot more effort into my uh, my wake park riding, and and a lot of that's due to the events this year and where I feel my strengths are and, and my, my best chance of coming out with some results. I would like to say that you've been pushing the limits of your riding for, for a long time. You pulled off one of the gnarliest gaps, uh, I believe, ever in our sport. Probably one of the only step-up jumps done, uh, at least at that time. And since then, I don't really know anybody else who's, who's done it anywhere close to what you do. It was like a 30-foot gap up. I actually just... Uh, looked it up and rewatched the video today, man. That was that was gnarly. That was in New Zealand a few years ago. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we. Um, I actually tried that twice. The first one was a complete fail, and it could have been really bad. Like, luckily, the location we found there in New Zealand was only about two minutes from the nearest hospital. So, so I knew that if uh, if things went wrong, then it wasn't going to be long until I was in good hands. But it was um, the first attempt. Just use the wrong ramp. I tried to get away with not having to build a new ramp for it. Um, Use a, a quad bike freestyle motocross ramp that was way too steep. It was basically straight up. Yeah, it was pretty much vert. And so um, it was like hitting, coming in and hitting a brick wall and trying to jump over a bigger brick wall. So it definitely was, uh, that was sketchy. So I went a couple of years later and retried it, you know, built a, a bigger ramp and so yeah, no, that was that was super fun. I wish I could do that again. Well, that setup, we were pulling behind a jet ski on that one, so that was that was a little limiting. You know, it kind of meant that it was just more about doing a couple grabs and sort of just making it up there and landing it and riding away. Doing enough burst, that, and you were probably trying to earn trick of the year with that as well. Yeah, I was stoked. I got a nomination for that one. I actually it didn't even cross my mind to even submit it or anything like that, but it got nominated, which I was stoked. And then, you know, up until recently, you know, at Lake Ronix, we've got our pool set up there, so I hadn't been able to do another step up. And so we, you know, with the mega ramp set up from Wake Open last year, you know, now we've got an XL out of the pool to the landing, whereas last year they had the, it all on flat water, so they had their, you know, double XL kickers or whatever you want to call them. So we've been using those to step up into the pool, and that's been super fun. It's been, you know, it sort of took me back to that step up I did, and and because it was behind a system too, now it's a lot more consistent of a pull, and it means we're able to uh, to play around a bit more and get a bit more creative. I'm not going to lie to the listeners out there. I may or may not have a little access every now and then to uh, a few video clips before you guys get to see them. and. I've seen some of the stuff that you guys are doing out there. It's unreal and it's cool. I mean, every I mean, you got the the young guns ripping out there, you know, from your Jake Palats and Massey Pifferettis and the ladies, Tracy Bainham and Amber and Dallas. I mean, and of course, you know, Chad and Dino and Danny Parks and Ruck. I mean, it's just you guys have been putting down some unreal stuff, and when, when everything starts dropping, I think people's minds are truly going to be blown. Yeah, and that's that's one of the biggest things lately. It's all been so, like, we've been doing so much, but none of it has been released because a lot of it's been for Prime, which is releasing around, you know, Surf Expo time. And so a lot of it, like, you know, I want to I want to scream from the top of a mountain the, the stuff that we've been doing, and, it's, and at the same time, we've got to keep it quiet and kind of, like... Uh, you know, just just kind of keep it keep it for prime, and 
you know, I know obviously there's there's some stuff that that you can't hundred percent um, keep com- completely quiet all the time. But a lot of the footage, obviously, we're just gonna gonna save that for the release of Prime, and you know, and then as soon as we get any like promo videos and stuff like that, make sure you know, obviously, check them out on on Instagram and stuff like that. So. Brad, you're also one of the first guys to land a 1080. You were questionably uh, the fourth on record, right? Yeah, fourth on record. I mean, there's talk, and I, I believe it that uh, that Mark Kenny did one around the you know similar timing to when Parks did his first one, and Kenny was one of the biggest one of the guys I looked up to the most as an up and coming rider, and um, you know I definitely I saw him down at the Ballistics Wakeboard Camp in New Zealand. We'd head hide away for a few months and just ride and saw him trying tens back then and that was uh you know that was back in i think 2001 and that may have even been since it was rumored for him to have landed it so but you know i was i was super stoked to to become uh you know fourth officially you know to have it documented and and the first regular stance 10 so you know it would probably be worth more to me than going out and winning some contests you know and that this was a long time ago i mean that was at this point now we're talking eight seasons ago 19th of february 2008 do you feel as if that 1080 was overlooked uh not overlooked it definitely i know that it definitely uh it caught or caught on like wildfire i was getting out of the water after landing it you know, like literally celebrating in the water everyone jumped in we're all swimming around yahooing like 10 minutes you know five five ten minutes goes by and i'm getting out of the water and one of the boys on the boat gets a text message from Australia, and I was in New Zealand, and saying, "Hey, I just read online that you just landed a 1080." So it was crazy that spread so fast. It this, was, it's not like Twitter was there. No, it was. It, it was basically because Jeff Weatherall was there. His oh. brother. His brother had a website. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. He happened to be sitting at his laptop, but I, you know, I got three double page spreads and magazines out of that. I got you know a lot of recognition and one. Uh, Australian uh, trick of the year for 2008. I mean, I don't think it was overlooked in terms of recognition. I feel like it was, I missed the boat in terms of the timing. Like it was literally at right around the time I landed, that was right as the economy was taking a dive. There was all the sponsorship dollars were tightening up. I basically saw that 1080 as being my ticket to making it. You know, I, I saw that as me, you know, my board sponsors, every sponsor I had at the time, turn around, ready for them to go. All right, we're going to start paying you this much. Next thing I, you know, I'm getting phone calls like, "Yeah, that's so sick," but we got no budget still. We got nothing. You know, like we we can't come up with this money from anywhere. And so, it kind of uh, I don't know. It was definitely a bit demoralizing and a little a little de- demotivating, and kind of had me down a little bit about that. But obviously, I was just so pumped on on the trick itself and, and just sort of getting my name out there a bit more. And, and I guess the, the potential for opportunities, I, I always like to look at the positive things and try not to dwell on the negative. So even when sponsors were coming and saying, Hey, you know, we can't do this anymore, but you know, I always looked, you know, maybe there's another sponsor on the horizon that will. Um, I'll, I'll give you credit. There's um, there's definitely those guys in our sport that, that are great riders and, you know, just haven't had that break. And they'll walk around and cry, "Why me? Why me?" You know, I, I do have to admit, you're you've definitely never really been like that. You know, you've you've always just kind of pushed through and kind of tried to to make the best and and step up to the plate and and 
take, go on to the next thing, you know? Yeah, I definitely had some why me moments, <laughs> but I tried to keep them to myself as much as I could. And, you know, it, it's only just recently that I've realized that how much of a professional you do need to be uh, to be a professional wakeboarder. It's not just about being good on the water. You've actually got to, you've actually got to do, you know, do a lot more than that in terms of, you know, things you do for your sponsors and just how you, how you act and how you kind of behave and stuff like that as well. That you know, it's, that may transition into this next uh, question here. I feel like you're you really starting uh, started to to gain major respect from people within our industry. You threw out a number two thousand one. You've been competing as long as I've been announcing, and I've been announcing since two thousand and six. My first event was nationals two thousand and five. I know you've been competing longer than that because I was working a pro shop at the Masters when you were riding in in juniors, but. Why now is Brad Smela gaining so much momentum? Um, I think, you know, it definitely goes back to what I was just saying about being more professional. Um, I kind of, I wish I'd have understood this industry as much as I do now, um, you know, back when I first started coming here to the States. And so it's, it's you got to be more than a wakeboarder. Like, and I guess I felt like I kind of fell into my place. Like I fell into a comfortable zone when I started to, announced the pro tour because you know i jumped on board with you and up there on the mic and before it was it was like i'd go to the pro tour stops and i and it was it was like all right how much am i going to lose this weekend when i don't make it through a round or if i don't make it through like i've spent this much on flights this much on hotels entries everything and i i see this big money pit you know it it was daunting as how much am i going to lose by being here and if i'd ride well then okay maybe there's a chance i'll break even or, or win a little bit of cash but by jumping up on the mic it kind of a you know the the tour helped me out with with hotel and and entry and stuff like that as, in return and you know i still cover my travel and and that sort of stuff but it kind of just means that i i felt a lot more comfortable i knew that i'd be leaving that event not losing money i could pretty much break even most times and and it took the pressure off me as a rider and competing and stuff like that but then also at the same time i felt like other riders kind of may you know whether i i was just in a position where they you know maybe gave me a little more respect or they kind of you know they were coming to me and asking me questions i when are we riding when's this happening or how's this format work and because now that i you know i'm the guy with the mic in the hand and we all know that guy knows everything that's going on (laughs) you and i both know Daryl, but no and it's it's it is just taking a bit more discipline and kind of you know, just working a bit more with sponsors, working hard and, and realizing that that it's not just about going out there and, and riding really well. You've just you've also got to you know, be professional and you've got to that, you know, that riding that you're doing has got to make it out there to the people. You've got to get this media exposure. You've got to have a good relationship with photographers and, you know, filmers and the magazines and everything like that. And it's the manufacturers so and everybody. Exactly. You can't you can't be this little punk kid riding out there on the on the water. and you know, because it's never going to work out for you. You got to be that that personable guy. That's you know, and that's where you get longevity in the sport. And um, you know, the likes of Sean Murray and your Parks Bonifay and your Andrew Atkinsons and and Eric Rux and all those those types of guys that are going to continue on in the sport because they are approachable. They're friendly. They're out there well, you, doing you, stuff for their sponsors. And you think about it, and in in that you, you mentioned those names, but. On the other side of things, there's a even longer list of 
phenomenal riders from the past who we haven't heard from in years now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, well, it, it, it all it all goes together. So, and uh, obviously, it's been helping you out. I've been uh, checking out some of the stuff from Mastercraft Boats and uh, saw that you've been uh, involved with the release of their more budget-friendly boat, the NXT. I saw you doing a little stuff with with Travis Pastrana and Parks Bonifay. Yeah, that was that was really cool to be a part of. I actually was planning on flying out over here the week after that. That was right when I first got here this season. We were filming for that, and um, I was planning on being here a bit later. I, I got the call from, from POB that that they wanted to do some board testing. And then also on top of that, this offer came through to be involved in this NXT launch. Uh, Jeff Tremaine from Dick House Productions was was the director for that whole thing. And it was just, it was insane, man. The, the production they had going on out there, it was super cool to be involved in. And, um, you know, and great, great to be involved uh, with that, that launch for Mastercraft. I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to say this. I love when people from outside the industry filmers and you know videographers editors come in and take a shot at it you know uh, it's it's great i mean they did a great job too you know they've i mean obviously jeff tremaine he's a producer of like ridiculousness and jackass and all those all those sort of uh you know johnny knoxville type movies and uh sorry tv shows and he's definitely uh he's definitely got an eye for it man and we had some some funny stuff going on definitely goofing around for the day and uh you know, topping off the day with the frog suit uh, tube jump over the reeds, that was pretty awesome. So if you haven't had a chance yet, go online, check out that uh, that release video. They got a whole bunch of them and, you know, Parks and Travis, just absolutely hilarious. There's definitely some fun moments in there. Yeah. So now you've, you've got uh, the work with Travis Pastrana and the guys from Dick House, and you're working on Prime. I know you've done some other wakeboard films, but you've also been involved in some higher profile appearances on tv and film now this is uh let let us know if this is true or not but you're uh you're in 300 right (laughs) no uh close i wasn't in 300 um i was actually in the in i was an extra in the uh tv show spartacus which is a stars uh, network tv show um very similar to 300 but slightly more let's say 11 30 12 o'clock at night kind of uh showtime-ish showtime-ish <laughs> tight you know definitely some full frontal nudity and some uh some blood and guts and it, it was a, actually really cool to be a part of um i got to do uh i played two roles in the uh prequel that they did which was called blood and sand um oh sorry gods of the arena um i got to be a two two characters in that just short little um little appearances one i was a thracian slave and they were trying to sell me as a gladiator and then they didn't end up buying me because i guess i was a bit too of a too much of a savage or something i don't know but then in the next episode i was they 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 had put a wig on me for being a slave so I could, like i look like this barbarian type dude right <laughs> and then for the next episode they'd taken the wig off i had a shaved head you know i'd kind of growed out a bit more facial hair and they'd uh They'd use me as an extra for for one of the gladiators, so I got I was in the the outside of the fights, you know, standing there chanting and cheering and and being a part of that. And then I also got called back for season three for about three weeks as a uh, as a what was I called a flag bearer. I'm I'm the guy that's in part of the Roman army, 
the whole army's walking in. They've all got am- they've all got some sort of a weapon. I'm the I'm the idiot walking in with a big flag on a pole. So <laughs> that was uh, that was really cool. They actually is mul- this is this all in New Zealand? Mm-hmm. All filmed in New Zealand. They actually for that part they multiplied me into about a thousand people. So. Did you? Did they multiply your paycheck into about a thousand people's checks too? <laughs> no, I wish, but that, hey, it was a, it was actually really long, uh, really long hours, long days. We we're up at four a.m. every morning, and um, you know, there till seven, eight o'clock at night, and um, it got to the point like it, it was it was really fun though. They had it fully catered and, and you know look after you really well, but it was nice. I did like three weeks' work and paid off most of my credit card debt. You know, like it was. And then you move back to America. Yeah. <laughs> well, real quickly, I want to talk about some events. Um, now, you and I obviously uh, mentioned this a few times already, announced King of Wake together. Um, but recently, you stated at the beginning of the show that you announced the Collegiate USA Nationals. I know what I saw through social media, but how much different is the collegiate scene than the pro scene? It's, uh, it's pretty different. I mean... They're they're out there to have a good time. They're out there to to be a part of the scene, to kind of meet new crew that ride. They're they're not necessarily there to. to I mean, they're there to win as a team. They're not necessarily like, oh, I'm here to be the collegiate national champion. You know, like I I feel like it's a bit more relaxed than that. It's more about the atmosphere and and basically just partying you know the whole weekend i i don't think i've partied that hard in a long time we we were there for a, it was a three-day event every night we partied you know a, a well into the night and then get out the next day straight back into the event sounding a bit rough on the mic but it was actually really nice day two they they didn't start till 12 o'clock i so heard i really hope they I heard they transfer that across to the pro tour and take, be so take nice. that one on that'd be so good a little sleep in but right um, but no, it was wild. It was such a good time. Met so many rad crew out there and um, it's just really cool vibes. Like just having, I really enjoyed meeting so many new people. You know, I've we've been in the scene and the pro tour and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you know, you've got the majority of the same guys there. We need to figure out a way, we need to figure out a way to bring those collegiate kids into some of our pro-am events, man. Well, definitely. I, and I think the pro-am events is where it's at, you know, that you're, your weight games and your wake open for this year. And then um, even, you know, obviously nationals, you got to qualify. Rider for, experience. Those sorts of ones as well. Yeah. The, it, and it's, that's where you get your, your young groms along there. You get a lot more girls involved that aren't, you know, they're afraid of these pro tour. And well, I guess they, they don't have girls on the pro tour anyway, but like the, there's a lot of people that are afraid of these big names that are on the, on these events and to have these like grassroots events and, and kind of not so intimidating events going on where they can just get a get a chance out there on the water and ha- give it a go and into their first contest and that's that's where we're bringing in you know the right the right people into the sport more people into the sport and and kind of you know just I guess it's it's a, a great thing for the future of the sport as well. No doubt, Brad. In your travels, where have you found the girls to find you most desirable? Would it be here in the States or is it just everywhere you go? <laughs> wait, wait, so that again, where have I found the girls to find me more desirable? So not where I, not where the, I think the most beautiful girls are. But 
<laughs> but we're the most beautiful girls like me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> Have you never thought about it, did never you? Never ever thought about it. I guess the US though, just because of the accent thing. They love the accent. I go and start talking to someone and it doesn't matter what I say. They're like, oh my God, where are you from? And instantly there's a talking point. And we're on, you know, there's the ice broken. So the same would work for you over there. You've obviously got an American accent. People are like, oh, you're American now. That's cool. It's not, you know, I guess the, the only difference is it's a little watered down because we get so much American TV and, and movies and stuff like that. So sure. it's not like, oh, I've never heard that accent before. <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it definitely, you should come out to New Zealand. We'll put it to the test, Dan. I'd like to. Maybe maybe I'll go back for, with you for Christmas or something like that. Perfect. <laughs> Who yeah. knows? Now, a couple of weeks ago, maybe 10 days ago, I read a Facebook status you posted. Let me, let me go ahead and read it. I've got it right here. It says, a split-second decision can last a lifetime. Today, I made one of those decisions, landed a new trick, and couldn't be more stoked. These are the moments I live for. So, first of all, that was very cryptic. <laughs> um, you know rumors are floating around right now, right? Rumors are definitely floating. I got a couple of emails that... <laughs> that definitely been, made me laugh the next day. So. I'm going to throw it out there. I heard you landed a triple. Yeah, that's the email I got as well. Um, unfortunately, at this point, that is not that is untrue. Um, you know, so I got an email from some of the guys over in Germany and, and basically assuming from that that I'd landed a triple. But no, I've, you know, the, the setup we've got over the mega ramp um, out there at Lake Ronix, uh, which is what I was referring to, um, it's on my, my regular heel side and up until... You know, a couple of weeks ago, my only double flips that I had were a double half cab roll and Tosa double back roll. So this only? this setup that I had didn't <laughs> didn't didn't allow for me to do any of those. So I had to relearn a new double, and so I uh, landed a, uh, a indie double tantrum over the over the mega ramp. And um, basically, you know, in practice for Germany uh, for Rising High, which I'm leaving for tomorrow, going to be heading out there with uh, with that double tantrum. You know, hopefully that'll get me through some rounds and, you know, into the finals. And Nobody else is doing a double tantrum um, off of a mega ramp right now either, is there? Uh, not as far as I know. I know there's um, one of the guys over there that's been practicing, has been doing some double cab rolls um, over that setup. And and I guess the reason I was quite cryptic, cryptic with that uh, that post is that I didn't really want to go over there and you know, to, to have them knowing what I'm coming over armed with because they were getting a lot of practice as well. They knew that we were getting practice. And so I just wanted to kind of keep it relatively quiet and just sort of know what I'm going over there with. They keep them guessing. Obviously, I got, got a few uh, a few people's uh, minds going and, and uh, got them assuming I was doing triples. But no, that's definitely not the case. Although it is something that I would love to achieve at some point. I'm not sure if it's right now. <laughs> All right, so I ask a lot of the riders this question. It always seems hard for for them to answer. I don't know if it's just too too, uh, too quick or something like that, but I know this is the only question that I gave you before coming onto the show. Can you name three video sections um, our listeners should check out that have inspired you to become the athlete that you are today? Yeah, if I had to, if I had to do three. I mean, it's it's so hard to, to pick between a few of them. First and foremost, number one, I have to say, is 12 Honkies, Parks Bonifay, 
that section is just cemented into my mind. Like I watched that over and over and over and over again. I just, I loved that section. I loved that whole movie. Number two would probably have to be, I'd say it's on quite a few other people's lists, but uh, Randall Harris out of Natural Born Thrillers. The ending section that he's got in that is just unbelievable. And then I'm split on the third one between Mark Kenny, Monkey on a String. I mean, he was only on the, I mean, I, I give him that because it wasn't even, wasn't even a full section. It was kind of right in the credits, but just one trick and that was just unbelievable. He does this hoochie Vulcan that, he launches out of the top of the frame because the cameraman doesn't expect him to go that big. It is like huge. And I'm a little biased, I think on that selection because it's because him as a writer, you know, influenced me so much. But in terms of a section, I would have to say probably I'd say maybe Danny half and, um, either incomplete or uh pre pop, both of them just really sick Danny, uh, Danny sections. So, well, and that, and that pre-pop one is actually a split one with Shane, so really sick, uh, sick movies. So. Hey, some good choices right there. Seen mm-hmm. them all. In fact, I'd like to check them out again real soon here. Brad, I want to thank you again for coming out here. And uh, before we finish up, how can people uh, find and follow you and your accent uh, through <laughs> social media, email, eHarmony, wherever, <laughs> wherever, wherever they can find you, uh, let them know. Um, yeah, just shoot us a follow on, on Instagram at Brad Smaler is how it's pronounced. It is spelt B-R-A-D-S-M-E-E-L-E. So like Smealy, it's a weird Dutch last name. Kind of the pronunciation makes no sense. But anyway, so at Brad Smealy as it's spelt. Um, and then on Facebook as well, uh, follow my athlete page on there. I try to update that as much as I can. And um, Twitter as well at Brad Smaler. So, um, yeah, shoot us a follow and Hey, any questions, anything like that? You guys need trick tips or you want to know how to build a rail or anything like that? Just, you know, don't be scared. Shoot me a message on Facebook or anything like that. And I would definitely be happy to help. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks for having me out here, Dana. It's been a good time for sure. My friend. All right. Hang tight listeners. We'll be right back here on the golden Mike podcast. Well, what an honor it was to have Brad as the final guest of my first season on the Golden Mike podcast. You know, the the following day, we talked about it in the interview, Brad took off and head out to Ham, Germany for Red Bull's Rising High event. He ended up taking fourth place at that event, but that's where he also landed the first double tantrum to blind. The following week, Brad and I shared a hotel room and got to hang out and announce the second stop of the Mastercraft Pro Wakeboard Tour, and that was out in Lathrop, California, and we had an awesome time and, and some awesome, awesome conversation. From there, I headed back to the Chicagoland and Wisconsin area to spend 4th of July uh, with my friends and family, and Brad came back down to Orlando and uh, celebrated America's 4th of July with, with a ton of riders. I saw some great photos out there on social media and it was Sunday, July 6th when the accident happened. I know I was over at a buddy's house sometime in the afternoon, and I started receiving some text messages, and I started putting the um, my feelers out, and I hit up my friend Eric Ruck and ended up getting in touch with Mike Ferraro and, and got a little bit of the news of, of what had happened. And obviously I was, I was devastated, and as social media blew up over the next uh, couple of days and more information came out, 
it was just a, a devastating uh, hit to our sport. Um, Brad, along you know with Matt Manzari, in that same exact week, both both uh, going through these severe life changes. It it was definitely for me the heaviest moment um, that I've ever experienced within this industry and possibly in my life as well. You know, Brad Schmela is one of the strongest guys I know out there, and over the years we've become very close friends. And Brad is a guy that's helped me understand that realistically anybody can have anything that they want. All you have to do is work hard. Um, Brad was on his way to going exactly where he wanted to be within this industry. Brad's going to continue being a part of this industry. I know as soon as he can, he's going to get back on the microphone and start calling events with me. I know that he's still going to help the guys at Ronix out and, and help make the, the decisions. I know that they're still calling him up and sending messages to the hospital where he's at in Atlanta right now with um, plans of new rails and, and his ideas and, and what they need to do to continue moving forward. All of us as supporters of the sport, as supporters of Brad, uh, friends of Brad, family, we need to continue our support. Uh, I talked about it before. The best way is www.givealittle.co.nz forward slash cause forward slash Brad Smela and to use the PayPal account. It's going to cost a lot of money. I said it before, I'll say it again. Brad is the strongest person I know, and if there's somebody that can get through this, it's definitely Brad. Brad Smela, you've got my support and the support of the industry and so many outside, and you've touched so many of us, and I uh, want to thank you for everything and, and definitely look forward to catching up very, very soon, guys. And Brad, thank you much. Hey, dude, thanks for having me out here. It was a good time as always, Dana. For sure. And until next time, and then the time after that, and the time after that, I am the original and one and only Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. Y'all have a good one. Peace. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Mailer. I want to thank you all for listening to this very special episode of the Golden Mike podcast, featuring my brother, Brad Smailer. The support from the community thus far has been incredible, but it's still just a drop in the bucket of what is required to help Brad on his road to recovery. If you want to keep up to date with his progress and see the various ways you can help, then head over to www.bradsmailerfoundation.com. That's Smailer spelt S-M-E-E-L-E. Alternatively, if you would like to contact us directly, you can do so at bradsmailerfoundation at gmail.com. From all of the Smailer family, Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Your support means the world to us.